Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. Amen. Right, good morning, everybody. Hello. Morning, Sandy. I'm so glad you're here. You're an enthusiastic responder, and I love it. Good morning. I hope you're all well. I hope it's been a good week. I'm going to tell you a story this morning about a rocket because, you know, it's Sunday, and why not? Um, so I was reading this week, and, and I learned about the, uh, the Ariane, the Ariane um, space program, and in particular, the Ariane 5. And if you'll humor me for a minute, I'm going to tell you now about it, because it's, uh, well, it's, it's relevant is the main reason, but also, you know, kind of funny. Um, so on the 4th of June, 1996, the European Space Agency uh, was going to launch its latest iteration of the, uh, the Ariane rocket program, the Ariane 5. And, um, and this was a rocket. Um, to, I, I did a lot of research, and I think it was unmanned, so I think it's OK. Um, but it was carrying all sorts of like, technological satellites and, and things that I don't understand into space for a reason that is unclear to me. But the idea was that it would go up, and it would take the things up there and, and leave them there. And, uh, and what happened was it launched, and it was, it was in the air for 37 seconds, and then it sort of flipped 90 degrees and exploded into lots of tiny pieces and dumped quite a lot of quite toxic waste over quite a large part of the world. But they cleared it up, and it was fine. But it was, um, it was a, broadly speaking, an absolute failure. It cost about $370 million to sort it all out, and it was enormously humiliating for um, the, the European Space Agency. And, um, and the reason why it failed was, was this. They had spent millions and millions developing this new rocket with these new systems, these new satellites um, to, to go up into space. And in amongst all of that, what they'd done was reused one piece of software from, I assume, the Ariane 4, the previous models. They'd reused this one little bit of software. And unfortunately, that one little bit of old software was the little bit of software responsible for determining which way is up. <laughs> and uh, and the, kind of the, the massively increased speed and performance and everything else of this new rocket was just too much for it. And I'm going to look at Theo now to make sure that I say this right, um, because the internet tells me the problem was that it was trying to fit a 64-bit variable into a 16-bit integer. Are those the right words? Yes, the right words. Six the internet also told me that the equivalent thing is like if you've got 10,000 gallons of ice cream that you're trying to put in a little freezer. The first few will go in OK, and then the rest of the ice cream will melt, and it'll be a big horrendous mess. And that's kind of what it was doing. It was so overloaded with software, um, with, with information that it couldn't handle this bit of software, that it just collapsed. It, it thought down was up, everything got wrong, and, and the rocket just exploded. It couldn't handle it. And, uh, and the scientists and engineers, they put all that effort into creating that shiny new thing that they were really excited about, and it was no doubt going to allow them all kinds of new opportunities, but they'd overlooked one Thing, and that is that the software, what was inside the rocket and what was going on outside the rocket, the new stuff, they weren't compatible. It wouldn't work. What was going on inside couldn't deal with the new stuff that was surrounding it on the outside. And I promised you that was relevant, and hopefully now you can kind of see why. Um, I'm telling you that because that is true in our lives as well. And I want to look this morning at how we prepare ourselves when we are looking to God to do new things. How do we prepare ourselves when we are looking for God to change things externally? How do we make sure that what is going on on the inside matches what it is we want to see on the outside? So if you have a Bible with you, 
Please can you turn to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 18 to 22, and I don't doubt this will be a familiar passage to the vast majority of you. Mark chapter 2, verse 18 to 22, and it is Jesus being questioned about fasting. And it says this, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. And then this is the, the key bit that I want to focus in on this morning. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Wine Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. I'm just going to pray, Lord Jesus, I pray that um, we would have soft hearts and open ears to hear your word this morning. I believe so passionately, Father, that you have um, got a word for us today, that you want to speak into our lives today, that you want to speak to us today. And so, Lord Jesus, we just um, we, we want to receive what you have for us. I pray that you would speak now um, through me, that you would intervene in my words, Lord, and make them into your words, Father, that you would just speak your truth into our lives this morning, that we would leave here changed. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so this is a, this is a story that um, you, you may well be familiar with. You might have heard um, kind of messages on this story quite a lot. Um, and we might be familiar with that image of kind of the wine and the wineskin. So I want to start this morning just by looking at a slightly different angle of it. And I want to just think for a moment about the Pharisees. Because I kind of, the, the, the longer I spend being a Christian, the more I think about the Pharisees. And um, and if you kind of have grown up in church, in church tradition, you've got very, very used to looking at the Pharisees as like the bad guys. And that's fair enough, because they were. But I think that actually sometimes they are more similar to us than perhaps we want to believe. And if we just write them off as being like the bad people, we close the door to learning from them and, and close the door to kind of learning that, um, you know, what it is that Jesus wants us to from their example. And so I just want to look at kind of who they are and how they came to be who they were. So they were, they were Jewish people, and, and their deal was that they kind of felt themselves to be like the custodians of the faith. And so they've, they've sat for ages in this kind of period of silence, and they are desperately waiting for a move of God. They are desperately waiting for Old Testament promises and prophecies to be fulfilled, and, and they've seen the kind of historic failures of the nation of Israel, and they really keenly did not want to be the ones to drop the ball. They didn't want to get it wrong. They didn't want that kind of shame and embarrassment that comes from kind of stuffing up the instructions and the law of God. And they were determined that the same thing wouldn't happen to them. And so they are people who, like at least in theory, desperately wanted a move of God. They desperately wanted to see a saviour come. But in trying to get it right, in trying to kind of follow all those rules, they became religious in, in the very purest sense. And, and the, word, um, the word religious, it comes from the Latin religio, which means an obligation or to bond or to bind. And their faith became obligation. And they had really noble intentions. What they wanted was really good. 
but they ended up being slaves to law and to tradition. Because their only reference point was the past. They could only look to the past, the past principles and past ideas and the past kind of rules, and they had no capacity really to adapt to what God had in mind for their future. And so they were stuck in old routines and old habits and old mindsets. And the problem isn't necessarily the kind of the routines and the habits that, you know, Jesus says like fasting is not a bad thing. And he says the disciples will do it again. There's nothing wrong with fasting. It is a good thing to do. There's nothing wrong with a lot of their practices. They were broadly speaking following the Old Testament law to the letter. The problem was that they were stuck and they were rigid and they were inflexible. And if we want God to do a new thing, if we are looking to God to do a new thing, we need to be prepared to also do a new thing. And we're in a season now, I mean, like look at the world around us, we're in a season now where I am sure individually, corporately, whatever, we are looking to God to do a new thing. I don't need to tell you how hard the last 12 months or so has been. Church looks radically different now to the way it looked at the beginning of March last year. As a, as a society, as a nation, globally, we've gone through a period of like social and political and spiritual division, and, and we've struggled for contact and for community. And, and as we, even as we kind of bring things back to normal in theory, there is wariness and there is apprehension and fear, or for some people maybe there is impatience and there is frustration and, and maybe anger, and all of that stuff that kind of comes with getting back to normal. And... Uh, Jack mentioned the, the conference last week, the, the T.D. Jakes Leadership Conference, and, and as part of um, what T.D. Jakes said in his opening address, he talked about um, the nature of church in the modern world, the way that church looks, the fact that now pretty much every church in the world is streaming online to an online audience. That's not going away. We're adapting our technology. We're reaching people potentially globally, people who some of them may be are just happier to be at home in their pajamas than they are to ever be in the room. And, and I don't have any numbers to back this up. I'm, I'm kind of guessing, but I think it's a safe bet. I reckon that for pretty much every church in the country, there were people present in the room last March who will never be seen again. Churches are changing. New things are happening. New things are happening in the world, whether we like it or not. And so our response to that shouldn't just be, I can't wait to get back to normal. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but normal is gone, and a new thing is happening. And, and we do ourselves and God just a great injustice if we look to slip into old routines and old habits and just get comfortable in the old way of doing things. We should be eagerly anticipating and eagerly praying for God to do a new thing in response to the changes in the world around us. And then we should be preparing ourselves in anticipation so that when that comes, we're ready for it. Before we look out, before we look out into the world at the new things we want God to do, we need to look in. And we need to look in at ourselves and prepare our hearts for the things that we are waiting for. If you've been, again, if you've been in church a while, um, as I've said, you'll have, you'll have heard the wineskins thing, you'll be familiar with that, but just humor me for a minute while I explain what a wineskin is. A wineskin um, is a sort of like a bag made out of goat um, for keeping wine in. I like mine from a bottle, but it's the first century way of doing things, fair play to them. Um, so they put wine in one, 
and, and, and it's still fermenting when it goes in. And so as it ferments, it releases kind of gas and that stretches the skin. And, and an old wine skin is brittle and it's dry and it's inflexible. And so if you put the new wine in it, when the fermentation process does its thing, I don't know about that either, but it does a thing and it releases gas, it can't go anywhere. And so it just explodes. Like the Ariane 5, just it's too much and it just explodes. And there are you know, loads and loads of different kind of nuanced theories about what Jesus means exactly when he's talking about new wineskins. And you can attack it from all sorts of different angles. But this morning, I want us to think about it um, as kind of three concentric circles, if you like. There is out there, out in the world, as our outer circle. There is in here, like in this building, in the church, in here, as our inner one, and then in here, inside our hearts. And if we want new wine, if we want the new wine of God, if we want a new move of God or renewal or revival or whatever it is that you want to call it, if we want that out there, we need it first in here. And if we want it in here, we need it first in here. So we as a church need to be ready, like a new wineskin, to expand and to stretch and to change and to adapt and to do things differently. But when we talk about that as a church, that's not just on Jack and Sue, that's not just on the leadership. No church changes just because five people in the room have decided it will. It changes because the people in the church catch something of the vision and there is intimacy with Jesus in everybody's hearts. It's on every single one of us to expand and to stretch in anticipation of what God is going to do. And that kind of leads me to the heart of what, um, what I think God has for us this morning. Because if you're anything like me, you hear the words expand and stretch, and a little bit of your inside dies. And, and your heart sinks, and you just think, like, maybe, this is, maybe it's not, maybe, maybe it's just me, but you think, Look, that's, that's well and good in theory. That's okay. It sounds positive. I want to expand. I want to stretch. But Sam, you don't understand. I've got, like, I've got a job. It's hard. Like, I'm a, I'm a doctor, and I've, you've heard? It's not been easy. Or I've got kids, or I've got like, financial pressures, or I'm struggling with my mental health or my physical health. And so you hear the words expand, and you just think, ah, into what? Like, into where? How am I going to expand now? My life is full. I'm at capacity. Or maybe you're thinking, like, I've been there. I've been stretched. I've been stretched to my limit. I've been on every rotor we've got. Maybe you're not even in the room now. Maybe you're watching this later on because you're upstairs now, dealing with all of our children and, and serving. And maybe you've not been in the service for weeks because you spend your time up there. And if that is you, can I just pause for a moment this morning and say thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. And you are doing an amazing thing. But maybe your experience of church, and I, I hope and I pray not this one, but maybe historically your experience of church is that you feel like you've been just stretched to capacity. And now you just you feel like an old wineskin, like you're just brittle and fragile and ready to burst. And when we're struggling enough with the way things are now, the idea of adapting to something new, frankly, is not all that appealing. And I get it, and it's hard. And if that's you this morning, first of all, you are not alone. That's normal. It's been tough. 
It's been a tough year. But I believe that God has something for us this morning. If that's you, I believe there is a message for you. And so the question that I want us to deal with is if, if we feel like we are the old wineskins, if we feel like we are brittle and dry and just kind of fed up, how do we become new wineskins? How do we go from old wineskins to new wineskins? And the good news is, ours is a God who does renewal. Ours is a God who does swapping old for new. He makes all things new. If I could have picked a song to sing this morning, and I very nearly did text Tom and ask him to, I would have chosen that Graves into Garden song. I've been listening to it this week. He trades old for new, beauty for ashes. And we'll come back to that in a bit. I'm skipping ahead. But God makes all things new. And if you are burdened, and if you're weary, and if you're burnt out, and if you're brittle, and if you're feeling like an old wineskin this morning, I believe so strongly that God's word for us this morning is that he sees you and he wants to restore you. If you have a look in um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says, and again, you'll be familiar with this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The, uh, the message version of this, um, this passage is, is really popular, and I understand why. It puts it so nicely. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. There is a... Uh, there's a saying in the, in the business world, I don't know where it comes from, but I know that it's quoted often by pastors to make exactly this point. Um, the, the saying is, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. And so if the results in your life at the moment are that brittle wineskin stuff, the stress and the burnout and the anxiety, maybe it's time to change something. And, and like wiser, better people than me have written very long books about how we do that and, and, and how we go about kind of reordering our lives and stripping away the unnecessary stuff and, and, and kind of really taking rest and walking and working with Jesus. But for now, I will say this. For the disciples, the new wineskin, that new wineskin approach, that didn't mean doing more. It didn't mean doing more. For the disciples, it meant doing less. Everybody else was fasting. And they were just busy being with Jesus. And when I talk about expanding, when we look at this kind of idea of being able to expand like a new wineskin, I'm not talking about how much we do. I'm not talking about how much we do. I'm talking about how we do it. I'm not talking about adding like volunteers to the media rotor or the youth team or, or you know, 
getting involved in raising money for a bigger premises or any of that stuff. Like, that stuff is good, and if you want to do it, do it, great, I encourage it. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about expanding the capacity and the depths of our souls to receive from Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to make space for Jesus. So the things that we do do when we do them are motivated by time in his presence. Not by obligation, not because we've always done it, not because of routine, but just because we love Jesus and we've spent time in his presence. If you were in um, Connect Groups last time, a couple of weeks ago, um, we were focused on, we were looking at contemplative prayer and on the importance of spending time just in stillness and in silence with Jesus and just allowing him space. The, uh, the, the devotional app, if any of you use it, it's an app called Lectio 365, and it has a sort of daily devotional, and it's from the same people, the 24-7 prayer people. And it uses the phrase, every, every session starts with the phrase, recenter our scattered senses on the presence of God. Recenter our scattered senses on the presence of God. And I love that phrase. Because so often, just the stuff of life pulls our senses and our thoughts and our emotions and our attention in so many different directions all at once. And we live in a sort of capitalist, consumerist, narcissistic culture that says to us, do more and have more and be more. And God says, be still. Don't do more, be still and be transformed. Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do more, have more, be more, work harder, try harder, burnout, exhaustion, anxiety. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To put it slightly differently, there's a, a few translations have a slightly different emphasis there. And the NLT in particular says, let God transform you. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And so where the pattern of this world is hurry and routine and burnout and distraction and inflexibility, God offers something different. And if you've been in, in this church a while, you will know that Isaiah 61 is our vision. It's our kind of the, the, the chapter that motivates kind of what we do. And in it, God promises to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. God takes what is old and what is broken and what is despairing and he restores it. And I believe, I believe with all my heart that God wants to do some restoring today. And if you're sitting here feeling like an old wineskin, I believe that God wants to get to work. I believe that today is the day that he wants to start that change. And it might be the beginning of a process. It might take time. I was in the car with, with Heather on the way this morning. We were talking about this and saying, look, it's, it's so easy to say. It's so easy just to say it. But to do it, it's hard. It takes time. It might mean making some changes to the order of your life. It might mean sort of pausing something or dropping something to spend time with Jesus. But if we're going to be ready for new wine, if we're looking for new wine out in the world or new wine for ourselves or for the church or for our city or for our nation, we need to give God space to transform us into new people by changing the way that we think we need to give God the space to replace despair with praise, 
to replace mourning with joy, to build that capacity in the depths of our souls so that when he is ready, we are ready. There is, again, a, a, a quote, and it's, it's actually it's on, the, on the wall of the behavior unit at school, um, but it says, if you do what you've always done, you will get what you've always got. If you do what you've always done, you will get what you've always got. And so if we want to see God do something new, maybe we need to stop doing the things that we've always done. Change something, make space for him. Mark Sayers, um, Australian pastor, says, and I've, I've quoted this before, that personal renewal precedes corporate renewal. As in, what we want to see here has to happen in here. We can't participate in what God is doing out there if we are not ready for it. If we're not ready in here, God will he'll do it, but he'll do it with somebody else. We need to be ready for it in here so that we can participate with God in what he's going to do out in the world. And Mark says, um, he goes on to say that we can only be a healing presence in the world without being affected by the world if we first become living temples of his presence. We can only be a healing presence in the world without being affected by the world if we become living temples of his presence. As in, our actions are not motivated by obligation, not by routine or mindless religion, but just by being in the presence of God. If we try and go out and affect change and do things and we haven't been in the presence of God, that's where the burnout comes, that's where anxiety comes, that's where the stress comes. And so if we're going to be new wineskins, we must be still before God. We must spend time in his presence. We must resist just doing stuff in favor of doing stuff from a place of peace in the presence of God. And so I don't have, um, I don't have a quick fix for us this morning. I don't have the answer. I can't fix your anxiety. I can't fix your burnout. But God can. And maybe it doesn't happen right now this second. I hope and I pray that it does. And I want to give some space in a minute to give him the opportunity to do that. But maybe, maybe today is the start of just saying, do you know what, God? I need to make some changes. I'm going to do something differently. I'm going to spend more time in your presence. And maybe all the time I've got is while the kettle's boiling in the morning, but I'm going to spend that time with you. Maybe all the time I've got is after the kids are in bed and I've just got a little bit of time before my eyes close themselves because I can't stay awake any longer and I'm going to spend that time with you. Maybe, maybe there's an invitation this morning to just reevaluate the things that we're doing, just to reorder the priorities in our lives, just to put time with God at the top of that list. And it is a journey. It is sometimes difficult. It requires discipline. But I believe that it is worthwhile because I believe there is a new thing coming for us. I believe it so strongly that God wants to do something new and I believe it is on us now to make sure that we are ready. <music>